have like my New York life and then my New Jersey life because they're very different. Even just I was out last night and I had a reading and then I went to a bar after with friends and I literally can't remember the last time I was in a bar, you know, past eight o'clock, certainly not a very loud bar. You know, it's just something you do in New York all the time. You know, you go out with friends. In New Jersey, I literally don't even know where the bar you would go out is. I mean, I know of some bars, but I go there maybe once in a while for like a happy hour at five or six o'clock. It's just a different lifestyle. It's very suburban. Yeah, I assume people who don't go out to bars or shows every night are just watching Netflix? Is that pretty? Pretty much. I mean, A, I don't drink, so I really don't have a reason to go to a bar. But B, it's just... I mean, where I live is suburbia. I mean, it's just different. Things are not open late, and also people drive to them, so that's different. But it's just... It's a different lifestyle. I mean, yes, I'm I'm falling asleep to Netflix at 9 p.m. most nights. So I got back to where I'm staying at 11.45 last night, and I felt like I just was like, wow, I'm exhausted. And granted, I woke up at 4 in the morning because yeah. I was packing for a trip. But I think – I'm not saying everyone in New Jersey is boring, but I, I'm – New Jersey version of me is just very boring, but I like it. That's the funny thing. Like, I watch Jeopardy every night while I'm eating dinner, and I have TV shows that I watch. I didn't have a TV when I lived in New York because New York was my TV. You know, like, life going out was stuff happening was my TV. Ten years ago, did you expect this life for yourself? No, but I moved to New York when I was 20, and I was going to NYU Law School. So I lived there from 1999 to 2013. And I feel like by the end, I was a little bit burned out of the constant going out. You know, sometimes I miss it now because there's so many fun things happening in New York. There's always comedy, trivia, music. There's cool things going on. I mean, I think that's sort of unarguable. But I felt like it was impeding other things I wanted to do, you know, professionally or personally. I just felt like it was hard to focus on for me, focus on writing and work because I would deprioritize those because, you know, there's a once in a lifetime event happening. I could always do the work at, you know, 11 o'clock or midnight or wake up early. You know, Literally it just a, once, a once in a lifetime event every single night. Pretty much. I mean, and so I think for me, not to say I didn't accomplish a lot professionally when I lived in New York, but I can focus more, you know, and, and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound like a stereotype even though I'm about to but like I'm 43 I feel like late 30s early 40s like I didn't want to have as crazy of a lifestyle I do drink and you know I do have these moments where I'm just like I don't should I still be doing this no not to shame anyone no no I I admire I'm saying I I get it not admire but I you know I have friends who are my age or older and they go out to shows and they they go out the same way I went out in my 20s and 30s in New York and I just physically can't Mm. do that I mean also I wake up usually at five in the morning, not because I want to, but like that's when my body wakes up. And I think maybe that's a biological thing that I want to get up, er- like my body wants to get up early and get working, get going. And when you get up at five in the morning, you, you can't stay up till 11 or 12. I mean, you could, but I-, I can't. So for me, like what I've been doing is, and a lot of what I do is work to the point where I actually have to rein it in and like not be working always in the evening because my boyfriend works a nine to five job. And so, you know, he's like, uh, can you spend time with me and not be on your phone? But I also think the other side of it is I work for myself. And so I'm always I'm on my phone. Yes, sometimes I'm just scrolling through Facebook or doing mindless things. But I'm also sort of subconsciously looking for story ideas. Facebook is where I get a lot of ideas for articles or that I want to write, like I'm responding to someone's post or a news article or something like I think you have to 
stay on top of the news to be pitching articles that are timely. When you were younger, was New York a good place to be a writer? Yes. I think I think New York is mixed in the sense that there's so many writers, so there's yeah. a lot of competition, but there's also just so much happening. And sometimes you meet people at an event and maybe you get work through that or they just rem- remember you. I'm not saying I don't actually know if I ever got an assignment just from talking to someone mm-hmm. at something, but maybe they remembered talking to me about a subject and were like later, oh, I want to hire you for that. So but you know, when I moved to New York, I didn't know anyone in that media world. I moved here to go to law school. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. And then slowly, I sort of inched my way into writing. Let's talk about that. It's funny, because when I was in college, I think I I thought about applying to journalism school, but I thought I don't want to be a journalist. I that you know, I want to maybe be a writer. And I'm putting air quotes around that. I don't even know what I thought that meant. Because I think there's a real gap between wanting to do whatever creative pursuit and the ability to make a living from it, and then the ability to make a living from it in New York City, which is a more expensive place. And writing is such a just broad concept. Yeah, there's so many different kinds of writing. and And I think, you know, like I have a cousin who's doing something really cool. She's I hope she doesn't mind if I'm sharing this, but she's living in a different city every month for a little over a year. And, you know, she she's telling me she wants to write. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to encourage her to, you know, pitch essays, pitch articles. But even if you write, let's say, five articles in a month, like that's probably not enough to make a living on unless they're really high paying and you're living somewhere where the cost of living is low. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be like an activist lawyer and work for the ACLU. And then I went to law school and I was like, before I even become a lawyer, this school is really hard. Like the the way it was taught and just all of that. I was interested in the concepts, but I did poorly in school. And that was the first time I really struggled. I struggled a little in college with astronomy, I think I took, like some of the sciences, uh-huh. because I was liberal arts, poli sci, women's studies major, but, but you law told me school. Before you're, you're Berkeley, so you were also I, at a very good school. Uh, yes. And so, but like I did a double major in three years at Berkeley. And I'm not saying I got all A's. It was not impossible. Law school really felt to me impossible at many of the times. And so I think instead of trying to figure out how to deal with that or going to a counselor, I was like, oh, I'm going to get really into indie music and go to shows all the time and like take time off from school to travel around following my favorite singer, Mary the Lord, and do all these other things. And like everyone else would be at the library pretty much every night. And I would maybe be at the library once a week. I think I just... Were you self-sabotaging? I don't know if it's self-sabotaging. I think I was also like 20, 21, 22. And I was like, New York has so much going on. And even though Berkeley is a college town and it's near San Francisco and I went out there too, but it wasn't, everything wasn't within walking distance of where I lived. Whereas in New York, my first place I lived was on Mercer Street between Bleecker and Third. I mean, it was literally, I could walk to all this music, music clubs that I wanted to go to. So I would, there was so much going on. And I think my mind was just sort of like buzzing, like, oh, this is so cool. And I want to get into these bands. And I was geeking out about that. And I was not geeking out about contract law. And and I think the thing with law school is if you miss it, if you misunderstanding the concepts in the mm-hmm. beginning, even if you, you know, pass with a B or C or whatever, you're stuck like the next two years, you're relying on all that stuff you were supposed to really know, not just know to pass the test. And so by the time I stayed for three years, I was just like, what is happening? Like, I had no idea what was going on in my classes. And then I 
I did self-sabotage. Like instead of going to class, I would stay home and try to catch up on the homework. And it was a nightmare. That was actually one of the worst periods of my life. I still at this point in my life have those nightmares of being in class and just not knowing what they're talking about. It was a really awful time in my life. Like I actually haven't thought about that specific time in a long time because then I was like, all right, I'm probably not going to graduate. What do I do? And there were there were two issues like what do I do like how do I tell them I want to leave and how do I tell my parents and all that and also where am I going to live like I'm living in the dorm Mm -hmm. I have no idea how to live outside of a dorm how to find an apartment what to do for a job like it was scary because also then all my friends were either in grad school or already in the workforce so you know they were they had their lives seemingly all together and it seemed like everyone at law school had their life together they were getting fancy job interviews and fancy jobs and I was like my first year of law school the summer after I was a a secretary in in I think not Hoboken somewhere where I had to take a bus like not Secaucus I don't know but I had to take a bus from Port Authority in a suit and it was hot and it was awful and I really just felt out of my element and if I look back I think I should have left in the first year because I then paid three years of student loans instead of one year but I was I had no idea how to quit something. I mean, it sounded like you had been a good student up to that point. Yeah, I was a good student and in high school. And it was the only school. thing you knew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the idea of dropping out really never occurred to me until the end when it was just clear that I was not going to graduate. But I just, I think I just got way over my head because I didn't know you could quit. Like, I didn't know that was okay. Like, I just thought, oh, I'm on this path. I agreed to this. I committed to this. I have to stick it out. Like we were talking about before with, you know, to be a writer. Like, I didn't know... It wasn't like I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be this very specific other job. I didn't know that I could be a writer. Like, I didn't know I could make a living with words, which I I also want to say, like, I don't only make a living from writing now. Like I Or it's a very many kinds of writing. It's not just like one kind. But I just had no conception of what that would be like. I didn't know how I would pay for an apartment. I didn't know even where to find an apartment. Like I was very naive. And I had spent three years really not learning about those things, like those adult things. I had spent three years going to a lot of concerts. So if you asked me about Lush or Ida or Elliot Smith or all these bands, like any Kill Rock Stars band, I could have told you tons about them. Like that's what I was really passionate about. But that wasn't what I wanted to do for a living. That was just what I did for fun. So I think it was just sort of a culture shock to realize, okay, I have to find a job that pays semi-decently. And also I wanted to I did want to write, but so I sort of had to do this double life. Like I found a job that was an admin assistant at a financial company. I barely knew what they did, but I could be an admin assistant. And then on the side, I was writing erotica. And question I get a lot, like I did a reading last night and someone said, how do you manage writing erotica in the vanilla world? And there were two people on the, me and someone else who use our real names mm-hmm. and two people who use pseudonyms. And I think that's a really important decision because it can sway sort of how your life goes because using your real name could on erotica could mean you can't get like that admin job that i got you know if i had had all these writing credits and they had googled me especially now you know that everybody's so online this was 2001 or no no actually i messed up those numbers before (laughs) i graduated college in 1996 i graduated high school in 1993 see I'm, I'm old enough that i can't remember i'm like i lived in new york longer than that so but you know i did have this job and then i was just writing on the side but i'm trying to think like i would say it was between 1996 to 2004 that it took until 2004 for me to be making a living from 
writing related activities. And in that other time I was doing, I was in law school and then I was doing these like admin jobs and writing on the side. And then through writing on the side, I got an interview. I got called to do an interview at Penthouse Variations, which was a magazine of part of Penthouse. Yeah. And I applied for that job and I got it. And that that was my first and only full-time job in media. And I got that because of like this side writing I'd been doing that they had heard about. So it was clear though that you were going to stay in New York? As long as I could afford it. I yeah. mean, I guess my only real alternative to New York in my mind would have been moving in Home. with one of my parents yeah. in New Jersey. I don't think I ever thought, oh, could I live in somewhere where the cost of living is cheaper? Because I had all this debt from law school, I like I didn't have savings, I didn't have a means to do anything else. And I think I at the time wouldn't have thought of leaving New York. I, I thought that's where that was where a lot of my friends were, that's sure. where all my life was. So and, and and there is opportunity here that isn't available elsewhere. Yeah, I mean there yeah. there were jobs and you know, I looking back on that, I'm very lucky that this magazine editor job literally like came to me and I stayed there for seven and a half years till I was laid off. And I think when I got that job, I felt like, okay, now I'm doing this for real, like professionally, I'm an editor and also a writer, but like, this is, it's all merging into one thing. And then also in 2004, I got asked to be a columnist at the Village Voice around those years, like 2004 to 2007. I was doing all these things at once, like penthouse variations. I was village voice columnist i started a reading series about erotica so like and and between those times like 2004 i also edited my first erotica anthology and i started writing the erotica when i was in law school so it it all kind of converged but it easily could have not gone that way there's a couple of things here right so there's there's first the whole like all right i'm leaving law school I don't really know what i want to do and then there's the, the also like all right i'm working at penthouse i mean I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I'm sure no one in my family was like thrilled that I was <laughs> dropping out of law school, yeah. that I'd already invested three years and a lot of money into. But I think, you know, my, my cousin came with me when I, when I had to tell them I was dropping out of law school, not my parents, the, the law school. That was the scariest part because I just thought, I think I just thought they were going to yell at me. Like I thought they were going to tell me trouble. I'm this horrible person yeah. and like, what's wrong with you? And I really don't remember exactly what they said, but they didn't say that. They yeah. were like, okay, what do you, you know, I'm sure it's happened before. So I think originally they, I said I would return in a year or two years or something. And then when that time came, I was like, I don't want to go back to law school. Was the plan to return? Or yeah. You, okay. I, I took like a leave of absence. Yeah. The last time I checked into the trying to return was, it was many years ago, but it was like five or six years later. And I think I had passed the point, maybe it wasn't five or six, but it was, I was past the point where I could have returned. Like I would have had to go all None over None of your again. credits would have. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I really, I think that was just sort of my way of giving myself an out instead of saying, like, I'm never coming back. Because it, it was hard to leave this thing that I thought I was going to do for the past three yeah. years, even though, obviously, my interest in it had waned. I didn't have a real plan B. I was just sort of like, okay, I'll have to find a place to live. And I found a place to live with one of my cousins in Brooklyn. Like, that was lucky. Like, a lot of lucky things happened that allowed me to do all this with with clearly no preparation. So you you kept it on the back burner really for yourself. I think for myself. Yeah. yeah. I mean I I think I just didn't want to fully admit that I had failed cuz this that that was and is the 
biggest thing I failed at. I mean, I failed at other things in my professional career, um, and some of them were big things, but that is the thing that I still think about, like that I still have. I don't know if regret is the right word, but I wish I had that degree. Not because I wish I was a lawyer, but I just wish... I'm like getting a little teary because I think there's just something like it feels wrong to have had this prestigious opportunity and to have totally blown it off. Like it wasn't like I tried my hardest and I still flunked out. It was like I barely tried at all. And that I I feel guilty about that. Can you envision a world in which you would have been happy doing that for a living? I mean, not not, not now. Yeah. You know, not really. I mean, I'm sure there's maybe some legal jobs that I would have thought were interesting. Maybe not a lawyer at a firm or even at like an ACLU, but maybe at some kind of organization. But I think I think the other thing that really threw me about law school, I, I did always think of myself as a writer in, in, in high, high school and maybe junior high too. I was always writing letters to the editor and essays. And even though I never thought of that as a career, I thought of myself as a writer. When I got to law school, we had to write um, papers and things. I barely remember what we had to write, but I know we had to write things. And I know my 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 pieces were like savage. They were like, this is not how you construct a legal argument. And it kind of th- threw me off like my conception of myself as a writer. I'm like, oh, am I a bad writer? Because I don't know how to be a legal writer. I think I thought that I would, there's this professor, Patricia Williams, and she, I, she might be at Columbia. She's a lawyer. And I, I read her, like, I wanted to be someone who was like a writer, lawyer, like who was writing about legal issues. I think in the back of my mind, you know, down the road. And so getting these bad grades and ripped apart on this legal writing, I think that did rock my self-confidence in writing. And I think I sort of was slowly trying to get that back through in other ways. Like I wrote for the NYU undergrad paper when I was there. um, And I think that was just a way for me to have this creative outlet. And I think there was a gap between my identifying as like a writer generally and like how could I pursue that in real life when you did start writing on the side did it take a while for you to actually show it to anyone not really I I mean the erotica I just sort of wrote on a whim like I was reading a lot of erotica I'd been reading it a little in college and in law school and I saw that people were looking for short stories on celebrity sex and so I wrote a story on Monica Lewinsky because this was back in 1999 and I I sent that one off I think I just you know printed it sent it I can't remember if it was email or snail mail I do remember I got a phone call about it and telling me that it was accepted and it was so like exciting I was like oh my goodness you know my story is going to be in a book that that was like that moment was like as exciting as having to leave law school was devastating. Sure, it was vindication because you had had this doubt specifically about your writing ability up till then. Yeah, and so like when that happened, it was it was really exciting to me. I mean, I didn't know that I was going to keep on doing it, but it was exciting to like see my name in a book. I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm I think maybe part of why I never even really thought about a pseudonym. I just thought, oh, that's like so cool, yeah. you know. I and I. I didn't think about those consequences, but it's something like I tell people now, like you should think about it, especially now, because even if you have like one short story in a book or a magazine, your name could be all over the place online. It could be in like library websites and here and there and everywhere. And so if an employer is looking you up, I mean, it may not be the first thing that comes up in Google, but if they're going to look like they they could easily find it. It's tough though, right? Because you don't you don't want to act like it's something you need to be ashamed about. Oh no, I don't think it's something you need to be ashamed about, but I'm yeah. amazed that it's 2019, so 20 years literally after I started writing erotica and there are still a lot of people and places and I'm not going to say it's only in like one part of the country. I'm sure it's in New York City too that people will judge people for 
writing erotica. I think there's still a strong stigma against it, even though it is more mainstream maybe than it was then. I mean, how much has the internet changed that? And how much has it changed your job? It's interesting. I I think like in in a lot of ways, the just wealth of information online Mm -hmm. has made a lot of things about sex more acceptable because, I mean, at the very least, you know, you can look it up and see that other people have this question or feel this thing or or share this fetish or whatever it is or write erotica. But I I think that like in-person interactions, sometimes that that hasn't changed that. Like I think people sort of think, well, this is what people do in private. And then like you're putting it out there into the world. So that's something that's still not allowed. You now live in this very suburban area. um, And I assume that in some ways, like people are perhaps less open to ideas than they are. They are here. Uh, When when you meet someone for the first time, are are you cagey about what you do? I would say cagey is probably a good word. I wouldn't say I'm secretive. And certainly if they know my name, or if I if they like friend me on Facebook or something, or follow me or whatever, like they they can find that out very easily. There would be no way for me to hide it. But it is not the first thing I say to people that I meet, because I don't want to offend them. It's a tricky thing because it's not that I'm ashamed, but I also don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. And then I don't want their discomfort to make me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) Because I think there's a difference between like, I'm not ashamed, but like if someone was like, oh, erotica is awful and, you know, you're going to hell. Like, it's not a pleasant experience. Sure. I mean, no one's ever said that to me personally. Well, not to my face. Um, it's also not a good conversation starter. <laughs> I would rather them get to know me as a person and know that I also have, like, a lot of other things going yeah. on and probably something that I do have in common with them. And then if they want to say that, then they would have to at least accept, okay, well, this is a person I have whatever fond hopefully fond you know i have this in common with or these fond feelings for and she also like writes this thing that i think is the devil i mean how do i reconcile that i mean i don't really go through that calculation with every person i meet in that depth but i i don't lead with it and i sort of let it unfold a little more gradually because i want to feel them out that's also how i feel about politics yeah i'm probably going to tell them about erotica before i'm telling them (laughs) necessarily about politics (laughs) But then again, I mean, yeah. you know, I I don't know. It's a it's a tricky thing, both things, because I am a very very much a people pleaser. Like I want everyone to like me, so I I, do, I wouldn't want to feel like I'm hiding like the fact that I write erotica from someone just to get them to like me. But I sort of feel like it's more I want to get them to like me, and then they wouldn't care whether I write erotica or not. Do you, do you consider yourself a private person? It's a funny question. I mean, not in my writing. Like I will write about almost anything. That, that I've done. And often those are things that people keep private. But I think that there are aspects of my life that I feel private about. I wouldn't say I'm a private person, but I I think there's this idea that if you do write personal things, you literally tell the world every single thing you do in your life. And there is a line. I think for everyone, there's a line, you know, no matter how much you do share, that's still a curated thing. Like when I write an essay about something really personal, like I'm still choosing which aspects of it I want to share. And often I share like the self-deprecating parts because I'm like, well, you know what? If I'm judging myself, let's say, then if someone else is judging me, I already did it first. So I don't care if they're judging me. 
Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Well, and it makes, you know, especially when you're writing about sex, it definitely makes it more acceptable and it gives people kind of an entry to it because I, I do think that like, I think movies and books and pornography probably above all have like so heightened our uh, expectations for sex that they, prob- they probably ruined it for some people. I'm sure that's true. I mean, it's a tricky thing because I feel like porn gets a really bad rap for doing that, but I feel like so much of it has to do with, I think those... I think if people watch porn and have like expectations of that's how real life is going to be, that's a like education issue around what is porn. You as somebody, if you're introducing some of the, the awkwardness into it, it makes it more relatable and realistic for people. And I mean, I think there's also a tension for me between my own levels of privacy and the levels of privacy of the people around me. My boyfriend is very private, but, you know, he is partnered with someone who's a writer and I write about things and sometimes they involve him because he's the person I see the most in my life. But not, not just, just a writer, but you write about sex. Not like, just him. I mean, yeah. because like, I mean, I've, I've had more than one family member preface a conversation with me by saying, or an email saying, yeah. I hope you'll keep this private. And, you know, sometimes it's things I never would have thought of writing about, but I realized that I guess to them, because I do write, often about all kinds of things they're afraid that like i'm gonna like use their full name or say like they told me this about this and you know i I do take that really seriously at the same time if it's something that i'm really obsessed with that i'm thinking about as it relates to me i will usually write about it but i will try to find a way to get around it like if i really wanted to write about something going on in my relationship that i knew my boyfriend wouldn't want me to i I might say it was about a past relationship. I talk to a lot of autobiographical cartoonists and they have like a sort of similar issue, like especially in relationships. Do you find that, you know, early on in a relationship, this is a conversation that you have to have as far as where the boundaries are being set with regards to what you can and can't disclose? I think in most of my relationships, no one's ever like had the conversation up front ahead of time. It's usually after the fact. And there was one time where I wrote about something with someone I was dating. They saw it beforehand. They were okay with it. It got published and the website where it was published had like a comment section and that really messed them up because they were reading the comments and they were like, oh, well, this person is saying I'm, you know, a bad partner because I did this. And I'm like, but you know what I think because we already discussed it and I wrote about it like in detail. And this wasn't even about sex. It was about like jealousy over like a female friend of this boyfriend. Um, and, But it was really interesting to me because I realized it's not just what I say. It's what other people say, which is, hmm. you know, they are free to say things because it's the internet and whether there's a comment section or not, I mean, you could still comment on social media. And I was like, well, there's, I, I can't be responsible for what other people are saying. But I do feel like when you write about or make other art, I guess, about your own life, you are inviting other people to sort of to comment on it. And whether it's commenting directly to you or commenting online, like that sort of becomes a third party to your relationship in some ways. And that is a tension. And that's just sort of something we kind of deal with like on a, on a case-to-case basis. But I mean, I would be uncomfortable sure. if I was the other, if yeah. it, the roles were reversed, I'm sure I would feel uncomfortable yeah. if someone was sharing things that about me that I sort of, couldn't control the narrative. I also think when you when you write about when I write about my life anyway, it's different than what I would tell a person directly because I'm sort of writing about them, not to them. So like my communication with them might 
is going to be different than my communication to the outside world about what I think about them. I mean, sort of in the same way, like when you talk to your friends about your partner, you're, you're going to say different things than you might say to their face. Now it sounds like I am constantly like bad mouthing <laughs> people I'm dating, like to my friends. And I, I don't think it's bad mouthing. I think it's no. just you share things that may be personal or just come across in a different way than you would say to directly to someone. If you are going to write about someone in your life, even if it's indirectly, do you feel the need to to discuss it with them ahead of time? I probably should feel that need. Um, I don't always. It depends. I mean, sometimes, like in my current relationship, I will frame it as, well, I'm making money from this. Yeah. But that, that's a little bit disingenuous. It, that is part of how I make a living, but I do not necessarily need any particular one article to like make a living. But I think it's it's just something I've done my whole life and I've dealt with. I mean, when I was 19, I was in college and I wrote an article or an essay for Parade magazine, you know, that goes in the Sunday newspapers. And it was about my how my dad was an alcoholic. And at the time, like, he was drinking a lot and we were really not communicating. And they ran it with my photo. And there, there were definite schisms in my family of who thought that was okay and who thought it wasn't. And I was kind of like, you know what? This is my story. And yes, it obviously involves my family member. But writing was the only way that I could process that. And yes, some people would say, well, write it in your diary. Like, don't tell it to the whole world. But I'm like, well, you know what? That was how I dealt with it. And that was back before the internet was, you know, email was as widespread as it is now. So you know, I got snail mail letters from people that I wish I still had, but you know, who were saying, thank you for writing this. I identify with this. You know, I have a family member who's going through something yeah. similar. And I i don't think I write for that specific feedback. Like I'm not thinking about like what exactly, you know, will people identify with this? But I think one question I ask myself when I'm deciding, is this too personal? Is, am I just venting about my life or am I sharing something that even though it's personal and I'm not trying to necessarily make a grander point there is it is about something that is part of something broader and not to be like too crass about it but I had just interviewed a musician had him on before um, and you know he was talking about um, his relationship with his family and touring and on the road and something I said to him and I think it, it maybe applies here to some degree if you're upfront about what you do Somebody entering into a relationship with you kind of knows what they're getting themselves into for, to some I mean, degree. That's certainly in my relationship now. I mean, even things that my boyfriend is sort of like, why are you writing this? He ha- he has always said to me, "You're you can write it." Now, I think he he doesn't understand it. I mean, I wrote a piece, which you know he wasn't offended by, but it was about like we only have a few photos of us as a couple, whereas mm. a lot of people have you know yeah, yeah, every yeah. day there's a photo of them as a couple. And he was just sort of like, "I don't understand why." He was like, "I don't understand why you'd write this, and I don't understand why someone pub- would publish it. It's just not the thing he would read. He's not he doesn't care about that stuff." And also, like, why wouldn't you just say, "Hey, let's take more photos"? <laughs> well, I I think it was just. Like, a lot of the things that I write and a lot of the things I would say I read, like, in that genre of personal confessional writing, he just doesn't understand why people write about their personal life anyway in that detail, like, especially about things like that. And I just sort of said, well, you're not really the intended audience for it. No offense. But, like, you know, there's certain things that I talk to him about that he just doesn't care about. And that is, like, in some of those things, like, it was sort of... That's just being two individual humans. Like, that's just... Yeah, I mean, it was also about how, like, sometimes I do see other people online and they have all these couple photos. And that's just not really, like, he doesn't really like having his photo taken. And 
we don't really do that. And it's okay, but I was sort of working through that. So sometimes I think it's just, you know, different, different outlooks on sure. what is even interesting to, to comment on publicly. Do you think, given what you do and what you write about, that there is a, there is a, more of an expectation that, that you be more personal, that you be more honest, that you be more raw than other genres? Um, I think if there's an expectation, I've been the one developing that because I think, you know, I know a lot of erotica writers, a lot of them, they don't talk about their personal life or they have a sort of public persona that is not exactly their real or their, you know, in real life persona. And I've never really had that distinction by choice. So I think if there's an expectation of like writing really deeply personal things, it's because I've voluntarily done that. But I know within erotica, there's a lot of people who keep it very separate or who have sort of a public persona that's a, that's a variation of their, their real persona. But I think, I think it's hard and just on the sort of business side of like author branding, how, how far do you develop a persona like and you know sometimes this comes up when someone's writing as a byline that's a different gender you know if they're a man they're writing as a woman how how far do you extend that do you feel like you have a persona that's somehow different than yourself i think i just don't because i think i'd be that'd be too complicated i I don't think i have a persona that's different but i think who i am like in my house i'm like sure. by myself or with my boyfriend is it's a maybe a little bit different than maybe sometimes who i am online like i mean i write about really personal things and obviously that opens me up to judgment by a lot of people but i actually have a really thin skin and so i you know i do care about what people think like and and that's like something that comes up you know my boyfriend will be like why do you care and i'm like i don't know why i care i just do you know you're in such a bad position for that to like given yes. what you do i care but i won't like change what i'm doing because of yeah. what someone says and i also know that people will criticize you for literally anything i mean i used to have a cupcake blog that I sometimes still oh, blog yeah, on. Oh, yeah, I forgot about and that. And yeah. I was on Throwdown with Bobby Flay, and I was taste testing cupcakes. And so they were mini cupcakes, and there were two sets of them. And so, you know, I had to eat them on TV. And so I ate this cupcake, and, like, someone sent me hate mail, basically, that was like, you, you know, licked your fingers after you basically saying I ate like a pig and then I licked my fingers after I put the cupcake in my mouth and then took another cupcake and I was just like wow like first of all I didn't like like lick my fingers like like I'm eating barbecue you know I'm pretty sure I put it in my mouth but it's a small cupcake so obviously like maybe my fingers were briefly you played this in know. your head too so, like you know but but it just sort of showed me people We'll yeah. send, we'll hate you for like any number of reasons or criticize you or whatever. I mean, you can't control for that. Like, and when it's a dumb criticism, I mean, yeah, obviously that one I'm still thinking about ten years later, so I I do care. But I think when it's a criticism that I just think is invalid or doesn't have any substance, then I don't care as much because or when it's when they're saying I said something that I didn't say. How have you continued to write about it for for this long? How has it held held your interest? Something again that you just started doing on the side so many years ago that you're still doing now? I think part of why I'm still doing erotica is that I'm not just a writer, like I'm an editor. So I get to see what other people write. And that that inspires me. I mean, not in the sense that I'm writing based on what they write, but I just get to read so many stories that are things I would never write. Like I have a story in one of my books called Essential Qualities by this woman, Alyssa Cole. And it's about a woman who creates a 
a robot in the likeness of a man and then he becomes her lover and even though she hasn't programmed he, he asked her have I been programmed to love and he hasn't but like he develops these human mm. characteristics I don't know anything about writing about that like I, I don't I would never conceptualize that that's just like even if I was sitting at my computer for a week and someone was like write a story about a robot and we'll pay you a lot of money I just I don't think I could because my mind doesn't work that way so I love editing because I get to be exposed to so many different types of stories I think that that helps keep me motivated to keep doing it. And also I get to see people both in person and online who were in the position I was back when I was in law school. And I was so excited to be published and like literally like crying in a bookstore that no longer exists, sadly, when I saw it for the first time, you know, like I like being able to do that for other authors. And I think erotica, especially there's many opportunities for new writers and you don't need, you know, you don't need a um, MFA. You don't need specialized knowledge. You, You don't even need to have had sex personally yourself you just need an imagination and also sometimes you can use the internet for like research i'm sure people are like oh you can watch porn but also like i've done research on fire eating to write an erotica story yeah i was intrigued by it but i was like no but literally how do they put out the fire in their mouth i don't know i have to find out i assume it helps to have had sex to write about it i think it it helps to have had sex maybe to like write about certain physical positions but also emotional things sure but i don't think it's a requirement because i've certainly written about things i haven't done or i've written about you know two men together which obviously i'm not a man so you know what i mean like i i think i think it helps but i think people get kind of stuck on that they're like oh well i can't write about this thing unless i've done it and i I don't think that's true. I think you can ask someone who maybe has done it for feedback to say, is this like realistic? Like if you're writing about bondage or some specific, you know, scenario that you haven't personally done. But I think the heart, I think the thing is like, yes, there's the physical side of it, but the emotional side of it, I think is just as important for erotica. And I think that is universal that you, you know, I mean, yes, you have to, I guess, be human and have emotions. Yeah. But I don't think you have to have gone through the same emotions as your characters. You feel like you couldn't write the robotic thing, but you did write the fire eating thing. When people are in relationships for a long time, they need to, you know, they off- they'll often introduce something else. Do you feel the need to kind of push the boundary in that way? I mean, I do for myself just so I don't get bored. Like there was a period where I was writing a lot of erotica stories and I felt like, oh, I realized all of a sudden they're all set at parties. I mean, different kinds of parties. But I'm like, all right, you have to stop writing about parties because it's just, it's too monotonous for readers and for for yeah. me as a writer. So I, I think, I mean, I've been doing it for a long time. I don't know exactly how many, I've only really written short stories, a few slightly longer short stories. You know, I do find it a little more challenging to come up with like the really good ideas, like the ones that are my favorite stories I've written. I'm like, what is that new idea? Like, I, I find it a little more challenging to, to just come up with those ideas. Once I have a good idea, I can usually write pretty quickly. The fire eating story, I, I don't know if I could write another fire eating yeah. story now. That, that one I wrote a while ago. I, I don't know. I Usually, like, the whole arc of it comes to me right away. And I, I think in the last few years, I've written a lot less. And there was a time when I could be writing like a new story all the time. It starts with that scenario. Usually for me, it starts with either a scenario or like a phrase or just a a glimpse of something that I'm like, I want to tie everything all together. And sometimes it's just something, I'm not going to say random, but it's just sort of an idea comes to me. Like one of my favorites is called Secret Service. And it's it was based on... See, now there are things I do think either you have to have done or doing them 
shows you something. Sure. I went, this also seems crazy. Like, I, this, this is one of those memories where you're like, did that really happen? Um, a long time ago, I don't know, 15 years ago, there was this bargain in Williamsburg. I mean, you could get Coke, like, not right out in front of everyone but in the back so i went there with my friend and like she went in the back and did coke and came back and you know it was like a very open secret in williamsburg and so i wrote this story called secret service where it was like that but for oral sex and um it was and i was like well that's not that much more for far-fetched you know i mean maybe a little bit uh so like i did use that real place as an inspiration for that story i guess i could have come up with it in some other way is it the same for the actual sex too that like regardless of whether or not this is a scenario that you play through i mean you have to be drawing on certain i mean yes i think there are a lot of times where i'm drawing on something that i've done but it's not always like a one-to-one correlation like it might be drawing on you know one third of this one thing i did and one third of this other thing i did and one third of this thing that someone told me about you know what i mean like i think you know i'm not I think the exception of that, I actually have written some stories that are basically true. But even those, you're still taking a few artistic liberty, sure. like creative yeah, liberties. With, yeah. did, did this happen in this exact order? Or was sure. this person this person? And I, I I do try and I think I've succeeded. I, I would never write something where it's so obvious who exactly the person is. I mean, you know, because I don't I don't believe in that. Like, I don't I don't ever want to be. I almost said shaming someone. I don't believe it's shameful, but you yeah. know, like outing someone yeah. about something w- without their consent. So the stories I've written that are based on real things that happened to me, I mean, maybe my friends would know who they are, but I don't think anyone else would read it and be like, oh, that's that specific person, because how would they know that person? But I, I right now in my life, like I'm, the stories I write are, are almost entirely fictional. But like, you know, even within that, yes. There might have an element of something I've done or seen or been to or or part of one person and part of another person. It sounds like you've slowed down a little bit in terms of actually writing fiction for yourself. But do you think you're always going to write erotica in some capacity? I think so, because, I mean, for me, so right now, mostly I, I edit other people's erotic fiction and I teach it. And I, most of my writing is nonfiction. And fiction is really a beautiful outlet for a break from nonfiction, because in nonfiction, I mean, you're you're bound by like specific facts. And so sometimes I'm writing an essay and I'm like, oh, I mean, I don't, when I'm writing an essay, I'm not like, oh, it would be great if I could say this, that yeah. didn't really happen. But in a, in a story, like, and it's funny because a lot of times students are like writing a story based on something in their life. They're like, oh, but it didn't really happen that way. I'm like, it's fiction. No one knows. And your job is not really to tell exactly what happened. It's to tell a good story. So I, I actually love when I can write about something mm. that did happen, but I can tweak it and make it more exciting in fiction or just bring in something that maybe I wanted to happen that didn't happen. There you go. That was Rachel Kramer Bustle. You can check her out over on Twitter at Racalita. You can also check out her stuff over on her website. That's rachelkramerbustle.com. She is, uh, among many other things, the editor of Best Women's Erotica of the Year. Thanks so much to her for taking the time to do that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes or on Google Podcasts and Spotify, YouTube now. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's our welcome at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's riwellcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L related information. And that's about all we got for this week. So stick around because we are going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of R-I-Y-L.